You're listening to the Headless WP Podcast, where we discuss all things Headless WordPress. The Headless WP Podcast is a production of the WP Engine Developer Relations Team. If you're interested in more content on Headless WordPress, check out developers.wpengine.com for blog posts, tutorials, videos, and more. What's up? Welcome to the Headless WP Podcast. I am Jeff Everhart, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Fran the Stokeman Agalto. And we have with us also Rob Humar from Deserto. So Rob is the head of web development at Deserto, the world's leading esports publisher. He has a long history of working in digital media, supporting multiple properties, doing tens of millions of monthly page views, And Rob's also an active member of our Headless WP Discord, and he shared some pretty eye-popping numbers about the Deserto site, so we asked him to join us on this podcast to dig into some of those details. So welcome, y'all. Good morning. Good afternoon. How's everybody doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, Yeah. we're absolutely excited. And Jeff, you know how I'm feeling. Super stoked to have uh, Rob on here. Not only is he a member in our Headless Discord, but Rob, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, one of my mentors and who I internally work here closely because I am the WP GraphQL liaison Mm -hmm. um, on our developer relations team, uh, Jason Ball, uh, Mm -hmm. told me that he actually got on a call with you um, maybe, was it like a couple of weeks ago um, on utilizing, um, and sorry if I'm going to um, uh, reveal... Actually, no, it's already on public, WP GraphQL Smart Cache. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. Sweet. Because Jason and I were talking about the site and they're like, oh, the cache invalidation works too well where they need to like not invalidate every. So anyway, before we get dive into all that <laughs> stuff, yes, yeah, yeah. super stoked to have you out here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been working closely with Jason. Um, I've been his uh, beta guy. <laughs> working through the issues that he's been having um but yeah we've been having nice chats about everything caching and and how it can make things like crazy fast on the uh, varnish layer oh yeah and, and and it's wild man because at the end of the day they do say and most developers will tell you the two hardest things in software development naming things and cache invalidation <laughs> y'all so all right jeff i'm gonna get to the um first question that we have for rob here and we always ask this of all our guests um could you give us like a bit of a background on yourself like what did you do before web dev and what was your path leading to deserto for web dev i actually run a dj studio teaching djing and music production oh what what yeah um they set up a a little studio in in the back garden and and was teaching all sorts of people from little kids to uh, to like older people and and yeah, it was fun. And uh and DJing at night in the bars and club scene. Um how I ended up in Deserto. I've always been like a, a big gamer and um 
that was what really interested me about the job because like you mentioned deserto is 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 the biggest esports and gaming publisher in the world um and it was a very good opportunity and i love working with like the massive numbers of page views and users that we get every month Wow. Yeah. And I think I did a little tour of your LinkedIn maybe at one point in time. And it yeah. seemed like you had worked at a couple of companies that were just really like way up there in page views. So like, could you tell us about a couple of yeah. those maybe spots along yeah. the way? So I worked at Bauer Media originally, which is one of the largest publishing companies in, in Europe. They own some big brands like uh, Kiss FM and and magic radio and 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 things like that um in the uk you'll you'll know those brands pretty well um and they had a a plethora of websites across the country and and world which i was working on um following my path in publishing because i really like publishing so i followed the path in publishing i went to a company called social chain and media chain which is which was one of the biggest social media agencies in the world owned by Stephen Bartlett at the time who is now one of the dragons in dragon's den here in the UK wow. um and that was and I think for the cultural references that's like shark tank in America right exactly, yeah correct yeah, yeah. okay yeah. yeah uh yeah so uh and they owned tons and tons of Facebook pages and Instagram accounts and they had millions of followers across all these pages and they were directing all this traffic to their publishing websites which is where i came in and and built the websites and that was actually my first introduction to wp engine and um that's where we we started on an enterprise platform with wp engine uh, uh, social chain and media chain i had a little stint in e-commerce at a pharmaceutical okay. company which oh. was completely like different um still using wordpress and then after that, I just missed publishing so much. So I went back to um, publishing and, and Deserto. And this is where I am now. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. And I think that's so interesting too, because a lot of the people we end up talking to in like the Jamstack world, some of them are doing traditional website development. Lots of them are also doing like more web appy things. And I think somewhere along the line, just traditional media like gets left out of the discussion and like sort of, you know, not not thought about as much as like the web appy part of the web ecosystem. So it's awesome yeah. to have you here and like dig into that stuff. Cause I think the yeah. use cases are really cool and like speed and performance to you all, yeah. I think are really, you know, like eyeballs make money and that's how it all works. So yeah. I know there are a lot of publishing companies, the bigger ones like BBC and Daily Mail, they're all using their own like server-side rendering setup, but because we have only ever worked in smaller development teams in not so big companies, this is where Next.js kind of filled that gap and made it a lot easier to get the server-side rendering and the static page generation and all those features okay. um, really quickly. And I think okay. just just to like take a couple of like steps back to what uh, Rob was, it's interesting that we also the developers that we have spoken to in the Jamstack world that have been on the podcast. Um, and we've had some UK guests, uh, Salma uh, from Netlify as well. The music background is interesting to me as far as, because Jeff, you come from a musical background. Yeah. The yeah. DJ yeah. thing is, I think is dope. <laughs> Rob, that's pretty sick. I wish you were still teaching because I was like, man, I wonder if Rob can teach me how to be like as good as Steve Aoki. Man, yeah. when we start scratching. <laughs> 
<laughs> you just want to you just want to throw some cakes in people's faces, don't you? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know back in the day when like hip hop first came out, I, and I know there's different forms of DJing, but the like the the scratching on a turntable and then yeah. kind of like mi- mixing in the hand coordination between the two and trying to like mix and melt beats and stuff that's hard y'all <laughs> like that's yeah. definitely yeah. hard to, i i was yeah you don't want to hear my first demo tape when i tried to dj it was terrible it almost but- seems like being like a, a musical chef where you have all yeah. these like things going and you got this rice that's on eight minute loop over here you got your burgers that you split over here and it's just like you've got to kind of pop back and forth between them um Maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna go see if that domain name is available after this. <laughs> Look for it <laughs> down below. Awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that analogy in the future. I think I love I love a good analogy. I'm good for a good analogy sometimes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so let, let's let's keep digging in here because I so I know you've sort of talked a little bit about Deserto. Could you dig into a little bit yeah. more detail about like what kind of publishing they do? And then it does seem yeah. like you've got this trend of you've used WordPress at a couple of different, I guess, media properties, right? And so like, yeah. do you see any threads there? And what what was what were the circumstances around you all choosing to use that at Deserto? Was it already there? And did you make it headless? Did you migrate? What does all that look like? So Deserto was, it's quite a new company. It was only set up six or seven years ago by five friends. They were all, they were, a few of them were like professional esports gamers um they all set up a wordpress website at the time and started posting news about the tournaments that they were going to um and gaming and things and then it just grew like astronomically i guess from there and the page views just kept going up and up and up and up to like i think around 60 million every month now um and they found a gap in the market for like influencer news so everything Mm -hmm. So they started focusing quite a lot on influencer news like TikTok. That's been a, a massive topic for us on the website. Um, if any TikTok influencers are like having beef with each other, then okay, yeah, that's a good um, news day. <laughs> I got I started following Deserto on Twitter, I think around the time we kind of scheduled this podcast initially. And I remember there being like some beef about some like stream group, yeah, and some other guy, like they paid him to do a bunch of work and he maybe didn't. <laughs> And it was just this fascinating whole other like world that I've mm. never been involved in. And I was like, wow, like they're, they're really killing it. And they're, these things were, I mean, just so viral. So it was so interesting. Yeah, same as a very passionate. The traffic. Um, yeah. So we have a very good team of um, writers across the world. Um, the traffic we have is mainly US based, but our, our second audience is in the UK and our writers are all over the world doing 24 seven news and, they're all massive gamers themselves and they get it right. I think <laughs> they, they know how to talk the gaming language for gamers. Yeah. yeah, For sure. So that's interesting to me. Cause I think, um, I don't know about you, Jeff. I know we talk about video games and I think there's a different, like, I think there's a, kind of this interesting layers of a gamer, like, I'll play Mario Kart with my friends over the weekend when we're like bored. We'll even turn it into a drinking game, folks. Yes, <laughs> you can drive playing Mario Kart. That's not a bad thing when you're. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like a competitive whole scene where I didn't realize people can win 
millions of dollars mm-hmm. in these and 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 there's a whole culture around it. It's it's kind of insane. When and when Deserto, well, right? When Rob jumped in on our headless Discord and I learned that what the Deserto, I followed them on Twitter. Too. I was like, man, I learned I learned that there. I didn't know there was a whole subculture of gaming. Mm. I just did not it's realize. It's wild. It's you can make a lot of money in it anyway. Yeah, the sponsorship deals are like football players. Wow. Um, yeah, millions of pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, that is that's absolutely crazy. And, and so, town like the Latin world as well. It's obvious as well. They're probably thinking. They're probably looking at us, going, "Why are they thinking it's quite niche?" But it's not actually niche. It's like massive. And uh, obviously, like the COVID world as well helped help oh, the boost. And yeah, and it was one of the industries that kind of grew over those few years. Um, so yeah. And I'm sure the future still looks bright for that. I can, because I can remember the last time I was involved in any sort of like collaborative online gaming, it was probably like Halo 2 land back in the early 2000s, you know? And that was competitive and people cared a lot. And I think there was even some like, you know, championship around that, but it just seems to have like gained so much more traction and on way more mainstream than it was then. Exactly. It's yeah, it's going more mainstream. I think that's the next stage for it to go even more mainstream and and hit hit primetime TV maybe one day. Yeah, but, that oh I'm sure. Oh and oh. once you get into the metaverse too, and like that, you know, that's a whole mm. whole nother like I mean, do you think I don't know, avenue that you could take this stuff in? Would you guys say, just out of curiosity, just a quick side tangent on gaming, would you say it would get so mainstream that ESPN would actually I think have... eventually oh, okay yeah wow interesting have, I mean have, there's big people gamble on it so people are doing bets on the game on the esports now and is that wow. a massive market um it's just exactly the same as as NFL or, wow. or the Premier League yeah in I, I think that's a given on a long that's enough wild. timeline because like you're already watching live sports viewership just trickle down and the gaming stuff going up and up and so why would they not you know, get those eyeballs. And, yeah, and Twitch, is, Twitch is massive. People just watching yeah. people games, and they're all celebrities themselves in their own world, right. um, and coming out of that world as well. Well, look at the people that are going into like boxing tournaments and things, and then those type of um, influencers, and they're getting millions of pounds having boxing matches in in Las Vegas and and things like that. And they've just come from come from this world. Yeah, and I why... think too that that evolution of the in-game economies as well as yeah. kind of an interesting concept where like people are spending real money on stuff inside the game either yep. enriching these companies or like other players like i think that's a cool thing that will probably uh, and, gain traction going, as well going on to another tangent like nfts is is a new new oh. kind of thing they were looking into and people buying unique skins for their players that they can own and oh. there's like a blockchain history of of those specific skins so that's, that's actually worth something and it's tangible oh, that that's interesting wild. and much much better than like the the board ape twitter picture i think also i think if i'm not mistaken and fact check me i think that's the reason why the streaming platform twitch was invented for gaming yeah, yeah am correct. i wrong mm-hmm. oh i'm correct okay yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. people watch other people streaming the games. Yeah, but now people use it as well. It's still gaming, but like I follow a lot of my favorite Jamstack devs, and they have live Twitch streams where they're coding on it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's you know. definitely diverse. 
Yeah. Well, and I'm a big poker player and like poker people will stream like their online poker sessions. And like, actually DeSerto picked up a bunch of like poker drama. There was like this accusation of cheating in some live stakes cash game, <laughs> like high stakes game. And they were like, look at all this beef. And I was like, oh, this is like a, a full circle thing on all the things that I enjoy. But it's it's crazy what people will use it for. Um, but yeah, cool. So like we talked about WordPress a little bit. And it seems like that that was just sort of the platform that Deserto started with. So like, what is the front? And I'm Fran, I'm going to jump ahead and steal your question. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, yeah. yeah. So what? What does the front end architecture of Deserto look like and why Next.js is the framework? We, yeah, so Next.js on the front end. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> Spoil, spoiled Spoiler it there alert. for everybody. Yeah. My, my history on the initial um, publishing website at Social Chain, we used Gatsby. Um, oh. Gatsby was the only like kind of server-side rendering static site generation generator at the time the, the largest one anyway next js obviously went into that field and kind of dominated the market from there um why why i went for next yes this time around was because um we have a, a few other projects as well that weren't just specifically um static site sites and we wanted okay. to keep frameworks and consistent across all the projects because we wanted a bit more like um server-side rendering i guess and 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 server usage which gatsby couldn't offer at the time which is why we, we've gone down next ts route oh i see and it's yeah. interesting yeah it's interesting to me because like you know there's this there's this thing in our ecosystem in our industry that it's kind of this hey there's these battle of these front-end frameworks but also these open source maintainers and creators of Next.js, Gatsby, you've got Astro, you've got Svelte. They're all at Jamstack conference now and they're making their piece together. Cause I, I was talking to Fred from Astro. He's like, yeah, we're having a talk about, this is not a battle between us. This is us making everything better so that um, we as web developers have the tools that we need for the right job. Right, and I think that's where Rob, to echo your point, you chose Next.js for its certain features because it it was the tool for your site for Deserto's purpose. I, I think moving forward, it's interesting to me because like with changes with Next.js coming, is it just me y'all or are frameworks kind of like copycatting each other? You know what I'm saying? Do, do y'all yeah. know that? <laughs> Yeah, there's not much difference between them now. I mean, where can you go from here? They're all based on React in the, yeah. in the end, and they can only do what React can do. And uh, and on, on this, like I said, server side, they're all Node.js based, so they can only do what what Node.js can do, and and that's that kind of their limits. So they're all all trying to get to that same point, and and that's where they're going to end up. Yeah, I, I agree, and it's interesting too because I think like. Um, a mentor of mine always jokes, he's like, what would happen if Facebook or Meta now just decided to stop using React? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, Vers- yeah. How how much of the internet would just crash? Vercel would hire, Vercel would hire all of the React developers to work for them. <laughs> that's, that's what I think oh. would happen. 
but it's a, I suppose it's a good thing that, that React is open source and 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 it's been left like that because that's definitely helped React grow in the world. Yeah, same with yeah, same with GraphQL. Um, mm-hmm. Rob, do you think? Let me ask you a question out of curiosity because like th- th- there was a kind of a two prong question we had that Jeff was leading into, but um, yeah, you know, you 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 talked about what features you're leveraging in Next.js with the rendering patterns that it allows you to do to a page level. Mm-hmm. From the architecture perspective of going headless versus mm-hmm. traditional, I'd actually want to ask an off-tangent question. Would you say that, like, say you stayed traditional WordPress, could it mm-hmm. not handle a site-led deserto? Did you just say, hey, we have no choice to go headless? You know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense. You know what, on performance, because we did have, I, I did join the company when deserto.com was fully WordPress and the performance was pretty good. Like we had everything cached. The pages were being statically generated on the front end. Um, everything was going into varnish. So we used quite a lot of tools that the WP Engine offered. Um, we had caching plugins like WP Rocket. So everything was everything was performing really well. So page load times were fast. And and core web vitals are being ticked, but the reason we moved to um, React in Next.js was to be able to introduce features a lot easier. Um, we thought that WordPress on its own had limitations of how much you could hack it. Basically, I know there's there's quite a good plug plugin ecosystem, but we wanted to be able to fire up things, fire up new features pretty fast, and 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 also. Be able to have that opportunity to change front-end frameworks as well. Like, um, if in the end next year got abandoned or whatever, we could switch over to Gatsby pretty easily, and we've still got our massive database and our massive CM- CMS in in intact, and it's still there. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, fact, that is cool. Yeah, that makes sense. And in fact, um, I am going to. I have whenever I do talks at conferences or even internally at WP Engine, uh, it's a lot of like, hey, why go headless WordPress versus traditional? Because a lot of these developers that are getting into it are always asking yeah. that question. And um, thanks, Rob, for sharing. I'm just I'm going to steal what you just told me and put it in my time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a call. Yeah, I'll, I'll highlight like a couple of things you said too, because I really love the the sort of use case there, like. Because like once you've invested a bunch of time and energy into creating data in your CMS, like you don't mm. really want to have to migrate it. Like that's its own thing to go from WordPress to Contentful or any of these other things. Like at a site, like at a level that you all are at, where you're mm. continuing to publish, you've got continual site traffic. Like that's that's a whole thing on its own. Where I feel like this just sort of allows you like the best of both worlds. You keep mm. that database intact. And then you get a new front end and you're only doing like half the migration legwork that you could if you yeah. were doing both and saying yeah. switching CMSs and trying to implement like a headless piece as well. Um, yeah, well, we have we have 80,000 plus posts on the website. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, and gigabytes and gig, hundreds of gigabytes of like images and, and things. So it, it, we, we did consider moving CMS in the past, but the job Whoa. to do it would just be insane. And I suppose... Another reason we're sticking with WordPress is because the editors have all used it and they've all got experience of WordPress. It's just easy for them to use because they've 
used it in their past careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think all those are like very, very smart decisions. And like, you know, I guess like when you think about that and you evaluate those decisions, it's like an IT manager, right? Like you got to think about the total cost of this thing. And like, what does it cost to retrain the people? What does it cost to actually move the data? What does it cost us in terms of downtime? And so in a lot of ways, I think those are all like good reasons to kind of stick where you are if you can. Yeah. Um, and, and Jeff, like you said, we can't afford to have a downtime period even if we're not yeah. posting new articles like having a 30 minute like blackout is quite quite a lot for us yeah uh, yeah i'm yeah. sure and at that point for sure like th- those page views equal that's how that's how this revenue is generated yeah exactly um and so i think like that that's great and i think developers some developers tend to like be like ah like we were having this discussion about like do do we like incrementally shift something or do we blow it up and like, oh, are, yeah. you know, you, you, yeah, when we were talking about our side, like, how do yeah. we do this? What's the best approach? And it's like, you know, and in some instances, like the blow it up just is never an option. And so like, you have to kind of nudge things in the direction you want to go. And ironically, yeah, I feel yeah. like now maybe it might be easier to swap out WordPress if you wanted to in the future, since you've kind of already like decoupled it. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just sort of thinking like long term. Yeah. Like if you did want to, now it's just a back end migration and not doing both at the same time. So. I, I I kind of thought we were reaching the limits of WordPress with the scale that we have, but the work this kind of goes back to Jason Ball and the work he's doing of WP GraphQL and the caching stuff, and and that kind of just changes the game in using WordPress in the back end because it the the like the load on our server when we when we turned his plug on his caching plug plugin on just dropped dramatically and, and just freed things up so much yeah yeah so let's dig into that and yes, i don't know if fran or what you, so Rob, if you want to give everybody kind of an introduction into what that no we're gonna have jason on in a few episodes to talk specifically about this but we might as well tease it here i want rob to give us all the okay. juicy nerd details of this because i'm writing a blog post on it but i, I want it to come from an actual user with yeah. a site to this scale because it's that, pretty it's pretty wild that's valuable man that is impactful. so cool yeah yeah so the problem we have is that we want posts and the home page and category pages to update instantly as soon as we um update new posts because we if we don't get news out before another publishing company does then we've lost that traffic people will be going to that that breaking news piece of content on another website so we because the good thing about Next.js is that you can set a revalidation time to five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour, whatever. Um, but that's too long for us. If we set that that revalidation time too low to like one minute, 30 seconds or, or whatever, then we're getting too many new requests to the server. And that's 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 quite too much for a server to handle. <laughs> like we could get, if every single paid post on our website revalidated after a minute, we'd get 80,000 request to the server in that one minute which is which is a which as you can imagine doesn't go well yeah so jason's been working on his caching plugin to turn wp graphql into a more cacheable friendly plugin so that i suppose the basic concept of it is moving from post requests on the front end to get requests so you put your graphql query in the the url parameter and you're able to cache that specific URL and the URL parameter in the varnish layer on, on WP Engine. And you might be saying, no, okay, that's the same as caching with Next.js, but the difference that 
we have with Jason's plugin is that the updates that you do on WordPress, such as creating a new post, will will um, make that specific cached endpoint expire. Um, so, so say you've got a specific endpoint for the home page. When you update a post that is showing on the home page, it'll only clear that endpoint's cache, which allows the site to be a lot more dynamic and everything can be cached like for a really long time and only the new content is going to get revalidated. And that that just takes a lot of pressure off the server. Yeah, it's a really, really ingenious approach. And for, for our listeners too, I recommend if you're interested in hearing about this stuff, maybe also go back and listen to an episode at the beginning of the season where we talk to the folks from Graph CDN Stellate and they talk about their approach to caching oh, yeah. GraphQL. And it's a little bit different um, has a WordPress plugin, but like I, I really like the the work that Jason is doing here is really cool. And the idea of using the get request as opposed to the post request, I think, makes things a lot easier. And Jason's been good to make his plugin quite agnostic, so you will be able to use these. He'll go into this more, I'm sure, but you will be able to use things like Stellate and different caching environments like Cloudflare uh, with his plugin, and you'll be able to. Um, expire caches in, in those various platforms. Yeah. And that I can just imagine that the work to do that, right? Because it's not just like update this one. I don't know. It's like you're not making simple queries, right? I've seen your homepage. You have ton, dozens yeah, of articles on there. And it's like this plugin smart enough to realize, okay, well, this one piece of data is used in this query here as like, you know, is returned in this query. And so I've got to invalidate that query. And it's really, I think, intelligent in the way that it looks at what right. data is being cached and how and doing that in a clean way yeah. so that as soon as that anywhere that thing is used it's it's gone from your cache which is really cool yeah and the thing is like from per performance perspective like rob was saying this thing once it's you're you're by you're not hitting you're not pinging wordpress anymore right and then the user gets to these cached queries that are like just snappy and then the invalidation itself like once it's a cache miss, quote unquote miss, because it's a new, it's new when it's hit, that URL is hit, and then it's cached on every subsequent request, you're not hitting WordPress anymore. And therefore, mm -hmm. lower intense resources, lower cost, better user experience, and just overall like site yeah. stoke, honestly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. this is- specific, like, specific response times between one hitting WordPress, we were getting, because there are quite complicated queries, we were getting like seven seconds response time on, on pulling down certain Ooh. queries, but the cached layer version of that query would go down to like 200 milliseconds. Oh, wow. Just... Oh, it's so quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 pretty amazing. Yeah, and I'm really interested to just see more how the WordPress side of that, like the backend infrastructure for doing this type of work evolves as more people do it. Because like traditionally, if I were to optimize a WordPress server, and you talked a little bit about like what that looks like for a traditional environment, like page caching, we've got varnish and object cache. And like, it's just somewhat different when you're doing a headless thing and you're interacting through these APIs and stuff mm -hmm. versus, um, you know, like I guess a traditional website. But like I know there are a ton of other juicy details we can dig into about um, the Deserto site. And one of the things that I, I have a question about is like I noticed that you all have multiple domains and have sort of multilingual content in mm -hmm. English, I think French, and Spanish. And so like how 
how is that? Are those all headless sites? Is it all WordPress? How's that work? That's cool. Yeah. So we had to research this quite a bit. So there's like multiple like internationalization plugins across across the uh, the web. Um, but most of them were for translation. So you say you had a homepage with the same content on in three different languages. You'd use, mm-hmm. a certain, use one of these plugins to translate that specific content. But what we were having is the same website, but with completely bespoke content on, on the homepage. So we have a team of okay. French writers. We have a team of Spanish writers. We have a team of English writers. And they're all doing their own content. But we wanted to keep the same website and have the same features, and we wanted to be able to develop easily and have and only only work on one code base. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of in the end, it was kind of a simple solution that we just booted up three different installs on Netlify. Okay. We use Netlify for the front end, and <laughs> simply just used an environment variable to to switch between the languages. So we have oh wow. Yes, Yes, on on the Spanish one, FR on the French one, EN on the English one, and then three different endpoints in them, uh, inv- environment variables as well. And okay, on the back end, similar reasons we wanted to to cr- create three different websites with all the same features using all the same plugins. So we have a multi-site running on the back end. Um, oh, oh, so and, so all so deserto.com so, is powered by a multi-site. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. And that's, that's honestly kind of what I thought you would do there because you have the separate domains and like hearing you say that you want to present, you know, like totally separate content editor interfaces is cool. But like, so let me clarify one detail though. So it seems like the front end piece of that is the same Next.js code base. So when you push a commit to that, it echoes out across all three domains. Yeah, correct. We have specific hooks that we've made if we want specific features to to appear on different websites. Like we have different okay. ad providers on different websites on different countries' websites. So we need, I think we have like get environment hook or util or whatever, and use language hook in the in the code base so we can do little small tweaks on different bits. But essentially, yeah, we're using the same code base across the three different sites, which. Is the dream, it, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That does sound like a dream kind of setup there. And the multi-site thing seems like a great idea as well. Just and I know for you all, like the probably like the I the you know, the team that has to handle the IT stuff that makes user administration, all those things way easier, just operating it out of one as opposed to having three totally separate installations. I mean, you share plugins and stuff like yeah. that between them. So like if there's anybody out here who is listening and it's like, oh, I kind of want to do the do a similar thing. Well, I think we need to work on some content around multi-site and what people are how people are using that to do yeah. WP. Cause like this is one example where I think it it just shines. Like this is exactly kind of what it was built for and it's great. And then I've heard of another one. There's a number of uh it's like healthline.com. Uh, in the advanced WordPress Facebook group, there's you know, somebody's posted a couple of times about this and there's a number of like health medical focus websites that are yep. all like the same deal, kind of like one group of one group of authors, one group of editors, all publishing on these different properties, yeah. but it's all built, built around one multi-site. Yeah. And I've um, used multi-sites in the past for 
um, previous clients of mine in, in previous roles. For example, we I think I was working for a franchise of um, window companies and it was all, all the same company, but each local window company had its own website um, yeah. on this multi-site and um, they all wanted to share content, but look slightly different, like use their own logo and use their own colors. But essentially, I think there was about 30 websites on this multi-site and they all, all, all shared the same WordPress website. So it is useful. Oh, that's cool too. Yeah. 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 I love some multi-site. We had it's cool, man. At the university I worked at before coming to WP Engine, we had 36,000 websites on a multi-site instance. (laughs) 36,000, Jeff? 36,000, yeah. Our our database was like 30 gigs. It was whoa. It's just this fantastic monster. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, it was gigantic. I want to say it was like 32 gigs or 64 gigs of RAM or something like that. It was, it was beefy. Um, <laughs> Man, it was beefy. And we had, we had like sharded database tables. I don't know if you all, have you all had that problem yet? No. What's that? No. Oh, uh, just, I mean, we, so ours was kind of weird where it was like, we had a lot of people doing authoring, right? Cause it was basically like the students at this 30,000 student university could come and get a website. They'd use them for coursework, for stuff like that. So we'd have these periods where somebody would come through and like it'd be the end of the semester or the quarter or whatever, and everybody would go and all start publishing assignments. So the right load to the database would just be through the roof. So we like split the multi-site tables out um, across multiple different databases. And like you can, it's basically like what WordPress.com uses for there because that's all just a multi-site um oh. so it's a neat thing I'll, I'll i'll shoot you an article rob Pressbooks is another one who's like done some cool work there they did a really good write-up um and hopefully you never need that but it was something we needed because it was so many people authoring at the same time that it just you know like it wasn't optimized for that i think mm. uh, we took it down really easily yeah that's one of the problems i run into with wordpress that the editorial team have so many authors working on on posts all at once sometimes things get a bit muddled and if if all of a sudden one post id goes wrong in the database everything's yeah and that's kind of how what what ours did i think we had like you can structure that any way you want so like the last time i did it i made one that i had like one database server that was even and one database server that was odd so like any even numbered multi-site ID would go into this one. And then all the tables for the odd ones would go into this one. And so they would be reading and writing to two independent databases, um, mm. which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah. AWS made that super easy, honestly, if you were willing to pay for it because <laughs> the RDS solution they've got is not cheap, but yeah. Like, so what is, what is, that's a good, that's a good segue into our next piece. Like, so what is the, the content editor workflow look like on the Discord yeah. site. And and to add on that question, I, I do also have a question. Are your content editors pretty technical where they do understand oh, Next.js and how they cannot alter the front end um, using WordPress anymore headlessly? You know what? Yeah, they're not technical. Okay. <laughs> Most of them are like obviously clued up in tech because they're gamers and things. But from a, uh, a, a an IT point of view, I guess not so much. So they like to write. We only just recently switched on Gutenberg or Blocks, what it's called now. Okay. Um, 
to make life a lot easier we limited the amount of blocks that they can use because you can whitelist certain blocks um that you want to restrict editors to use um because oh. i know there's tons and tons of different blocks in in <laughs> gutenberg and we had to like make sure the front end was going to handle those various gutenberg blocks um and we just didn't have the development resource <laughs> to like cover every single use case and every single block that was there for example like um gallery blocks and and things like that so we limited the editorial team to just the basics so you can have the image block the text block the the audio block embed youtubes and embed all the different reddits and things like that um and so far it's working pretty well like like we've turned off all the the layout the layout blocks so they can't use columns and and layout features um and i think that's worked well for us because it's made the the writing process simple and and they can just focus on the writing part when they hit preview i mean do they do do you do y'all how do you have like the post preview stuff set up um so that they can preview what it looks like on the front end not like we don't have like the live preview set up so it doesn't look like the page in the editor as such but when they can click preview and it will load up the preview mode in Next.js and and they can um, launch a, a preview post on, on the front end. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I feel like are that's you all using anything to like do custom data? Do you take advantage of like custom post types, ACF, anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. That's a, a good thing to mention that we do do use ACF quite heavily. Like we've just okay. recently oh. launched a review feature so people can review games the editors can review games or tech because we've just started to focus on movies and tech and and things like that so we wanted to be able to review movies out of five and 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 get the benefit of google rich snippets so google can you can have like the review rating on google search results Mm -hmm. and, and that makes more people come to the website so um we've used acf to put some custom fields on in the editor section with a, a rating out of five and what type of product it is and and the review description and things like that oh that's cool oh that is awesome and and easy to do and i really like using anytime i'm using custom data then it just like yeah. solves a lot of that block editor problem for you because like you mm-hmm. get back just json and then you can do what you want with it and i'm and sure just, people have talked just... to you oh go ahead sorry Sorry, I'm just saying it, it just hooks, ACF just hooks into like GraphQL, WP GraphQL, like really easily as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then I was going to say, I'm sure people internally have talked to you about some of the stuff we're doing with the Gutenberg block editor and what, what we're planning there. Um, yeah. Cause I, I spent a couple months deep diving into just like blocks and you know, what all that data looks like yeah. in it. For the read purpose, it's it's not that far off, I think, from being able to do something a little bit more useful uh, if you want to. Um, yeah. So, like, that's a cool, I think, something cool that should be coming down the pipeline. Yeah, it'd be good. We, we did research that initially, but because we didn't turn on Gutenberg for a while, a lot of our posts were just in basic HTML, so we had to cover that use case. And we wanted to, we wanted to make sure the front end was all react so we've not used dangerously set in a html on the actual content mm-hmm. we've just converted all the html into actually react components um oh, oh, nice- okay oh okay okay yeah so yeah so when next.js gets it it parses it 
parses the HTML and then, you know, you're saying yeah, we, we built a bit like a bespoke conversion utility that that converts the HTML into the specific React component. Say it, so, you'll find an image tag in the HTML and convert it into our image React component and, and okay. populate it. With that. I just don't yeah. didn't want to go down the dangerously set HTML route because it's kind of in the name that you just don't want to dangerously set HTML. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think sure. I think personally, it just gets overused. I think people just use it too easily, and and people kind of ignore that it is called dangerously set HTML. <laughs> yeah, and I think really, and part of that is because what I was having. So I went on a stream recently. I don't know if you've looked at Astro at all, the framework. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so I was on a stream with them. And they were, <laughs> yeah, talking about like some of uh, um some of that that those mechanics. I guess it's like dangerously sending inner HTML because it could happen on the client, right? And that's the idea is like cross-site scripting is more of an issue. I've always just kind of wondered why it was dangerously sent inner HTML. Yeah, maybe it's just me being pedantic and I wanted to make sure everything was nicely reacting. <laughs> no, but I don't I think that's a real concern for this type of stuff. Like you're injecting code that you don't know what it may contain and maybe it's got a script tag and if that happens and doesn't strip it like that's not good um and it helps with a set of features now as well like we can have things within the content that, that can update state on the react and, and various different features like that yeah Man. and and i think too y'all are a big enough that's team cool. and a big enough web property we're doing the parsing and next.js makes sense or i think for yeah, a lot of other people right they go the dangerously set inner HTML route because they're yeah, like, yeah. you know, like I don't have the, t- I don't have the time or the money to invest yeah. in making the React components and, you know, like building the parser where. Yeah, yeah, it was a big, it was a big job, and we had discussions with the different developers. <laughs> yeah. Well, and shameless well, plug here. I think that's what our Faust team is working on in this quarter. Is yeah. Working on so you don't have to experience the pain that Rob and his team did. Eventually, you will get all that data back as like Jason basically um, from WP GraphQL or some other source, and then like you'll have some pre-styled React components that you can then massage and customize using your own brand guidelines and whatnot. You you know, um, Jeff, it's funny we we have two questions left, and I know we're, we want to respect your time, Rob. The thing is, though, on on the second to last question about the magic wand to make WordPress better headlessly, I wonder if we already waived it and granted Rob's wish with the WP GraphQL smart cache, or am I? Yeah, passive? that's that's one thing. <laughs> that's yeah, this is what I was gonna say anyway. So oh, okay, oh, if WordPress, right. if WordPress had that the graph the GraphQL built in because I know it has a REST API, but I much prefer working with GraphQL. And yeah, the smart cache all built in that'd be that'd be one thing. Okay. Well, that's cool. And so, yeah, that's what I'll say. So my question to the audience was, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about WordPress to make it better suited for headless development, in Rob's words, it would be in it like core GraphQL with with the smart cache. And yeah, wow, that would be a beast of a CMS at that point. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, it's about five minutes left of the podcast. And all... My uh, listeners are waiting for Fran's last fun question. So, uh, yeah, my only, when I say listeners, it's like my mom's the only one probably listening. <laughs> no, we hit 75,000 downloads. Oh, we did? Or no, sorry, not 75,000, 7,500. So oh, we're getting nice. there. We're getting there. Well, but that's just on, that's just on 
Buzzsprout. So I'm glad someone's listening. Double um, that on YouTube. Some icky people listening to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's good to be good to be a geek. Me too. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we get paid good money to do. We're we're blessed, y'all. This is actually we're yeah. This is fun. We get paid to like you know. Obviously, there's frustrations with engineering, but overall, the job is cool. Oh yeah. Um, and we all need a break from it, right? We all need a break from coding and tech because sometimes like if you're pounding your head against the wall on code, why is this not working? You gotta step away. Rob, what what do you do nowadays? Do you still DJ? What do you do for fun when you step away from from, from the code and just from technology? So you're gonna expect me to say DJing, but it's not. Oh. So funny, I've been interviewing re- developers recently over the last couple of weeks, and and this is kind of the same question that you ask in interviews, and and then they ask the same to me, and so I've got this answer nailed down. <laughs> and it's it's baking. So I kind of took up baking in in the coronavirus world, and like everybody was everyone's baking then. I've kind of carried it on and and still going, and I think I think I love baking because. It's kind of like programming. You have to follow a science when you when you're baking bread. Like it is down to like milligrams of like flour, yeast, and and different things like that. And you have to make sure these measurements are exact because it it does affect the outcome. And making sure temperatures are exact in the oven and and making sure things exact like that are, are, are perfect. And then you get a perfect loaf of bread in the end. And that's sort of what software development and programming is is like you have to make sure you're following strict rules and 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 in the end you get a, a good a good piece of software in the end that's a great actually that's a great yeah. analogy and i wonder you know it was funny during the pandemic there was all these like um people posting on like social media tiktok instagram and stuff of making like specifically i don't know why rob because i didn't follow the bread craze during the pandemic I'm gonna say sourdough, but sourdough man <laughs> Why got why yes, did sourdough what get that? Yeah, I wonder what yeah. happened. Why sourdough? Sourdough. I've still, got, I've still got the same sourdough starter as I had three years ago, or whenever it was two years ago. Still the same. Still the same culture. <laughs> That's crazy. That that whole idea of the the like the starter thing is crazy to me. My wife got into making yogurt like over oh, the really? pandemic, and it was the same deal where you'd have this like leftover piece of the yeast culture that you would just like put into the next batch and it would just like kind of keep replicating you know like how long has this stuff been a lot my my fiance thinks it in the fridge but (laughs) (laughs) this like gooey like thing that's bubbling away in the fridge that's like (laughs) she loves the bread though so so that's awesome i'll share a little funny tidbit on the baking stuff so um I was born and raised um, in a um, very Filipino uh, Roman Catholic family, and I was an altar boy when I was young, and we would help the priest and the um, parish make the um, communion wafers. And there were strict, the Catholic Church by the Vatican has strict rules, to Rob's point, about how to bake those communion wafers that are given out (laughs) during Mass. Now, that bread is unleavened. There's no, I mean, it's a thin, thin wafer, but you guys actually would be surprised at the steps it it takes to make those you know those those communion waivers they pass it at mass it's kind of it's kind of wild so yeah it's like it's like programming that's awesome i guess we're hitting on it's about that time yeah. rob thanks so much for coming on well, thank you really appreciate chatting
And yeah, this was yeah, I mean, man. all of the, these details are just super awesome because yeah, you know, just to to see how some of these things work in the wild is always great. Um, and to hear that the work that you know people are putting into this is making things like what your site is doing possible, like that sounds like as close to a dream development setup for yeah. kind of WordPress as you can get. Um, from my opinion, I guess, and maybe hopefully your developers feel the same, but it seems like, wow, that, that, that's really awesome to have one next have good, code base. So good. Tech yeah, that's great. That's and cool. if, if any developers are looking for work, we are hiring at the moment. So <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely include oh, a link yeah, we'll, to y'all's jobs we have page. The jobs. We have the jobs yeah, we have channel. Jobs back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely too. Don't forget to post in there. Yep. Head new new jobs channel in the headless WP Discord and follow follow Deserto on Twitter, everybody. Yeah. Like if you want to get into gaming drama of all kinds, like it is it is a joy to look at some of what's happening. A, and they do really good TikTok reporting. As well. <laughs> I'll plug the TikTok as well. TikTok, we do, I think TikTok. We oh, one TikTok. million one million followers on TikTok. Oh right? wow. Whoa. See, I'm not on TikTok. I need man. I need to get on TikTok. TikTok, man. We need the code TikTok code. <laughs> anyway, we should. I mean, yeah, I mean we first, should, man. Uh, we're not the first movers anymore. I mean, yeah. Like a year behind, man, but I'm was... sure somebody is benefiting man. from TikTok. Yeah, Rob, thanks, TikTok, man. This was a Twitter. Episode, yeah. Man. It was. Okay. It super was. It was Thank great you. to get all these details. Went on a tangent, but now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are the best kinds of episodes. Those are the best kinds of uh, yeah, I think I mean, yeah, this was this was dope. Yeah, I was definitely stoked about this. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Right. Well, y'all have a good one. Cheers, Take Rob. Easy. Until Bye. next time. Cheers. Cheers. UK. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Headless WP Podcast. If you liked today's episode, go ahead and give us a share or a like on whatever platform you're listening on. And be sure to keep in touch with the WP Engine Developer Relations team on Twitter, Discord, or through our website. Thanks for listening.